Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to have as my guest, Michelle Bridgman. Michelle Shelley is a professional speaker. She's a psychotherapist and an author. She's in the process of completing her doctorate in psychotherapy and is a regular communicator on the issues of gender identity in the media. Now, Shelley, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Good morning. Nice to be here. Thank you. Um, this is a really important issue in my mind. Um, and first base, I'll, I'll just fess up here. I think certainly the issue in discussing these kind of topics openly, we're going to be talking today about issues to do with gender identity, is actually knowing what kind of language to use. And I'll be the first one who says I will circumvent sometimes these conversations for fear of using the wrong terminology and unduly causing offence, which was never my intention. And I suspect I'm not alone. So should we just like define our terms first so that we know what we're talking about? Sure. I think the first thing to say is because it's so complex now, um, it's quite reasonable to ask somebody, you know, if there's a, if you're having that kind of conversation about, uh, about it, because, you know, whereas in the four we had the uh, in the past we had the binary gender of male or female, then uh, people would come along, who would uh, then say, well, actually that's fine, but I don't fit the one I'm in, so I want to go and change and live in the other one. Uh, but it's not that simple anymore, because in the 1990s there was an emergence of people saying, well, actually, I don't. F- fit that you know i don't feel totally female and at the same time i i'm not saying i'm a man or want to be a man so people found a space in the in between and we had the emergence of this word transgender which is a bit of an umbrella term really but then you'll meet people who are non-binary who will say well actually i i have an identity and it's kind of right in the middle it's not female it's not male and those people will tell you that they would prefer to be referred to as they or them but you're not going to know that unless you have that conversation with them because how could you know know. um i think what people and there are other people who would say well they're more fluid and etc i think there's just far too many to kind of cover um you know in a in a short conversation really but i think the key to it is is to um respect somebody's wish and if somebody says well i would like to be known as then okay. I think what people who um, are on the gender sort of spectrum, if we can call it that, get upset with is when people won't bother to make an effort and they'll repeatedly misgender them. Um, But I think it would be a sad world if we sort of backed off and didn't speak to people because we were afraid of offending them. So um, I can't make any guarantees because I don't know everybody on the planet but my experience is that if you're, you know, respectful and interested in the other person, you find a way of figuring that out very quickly. Right. That's that's a great basis to start on. And um, open conversation is uh, exactly what I'm hoping we're going to be having here. So your um, main uh, subject of attention is gender identity and helping your clients with gender identity. What sort of things do you see walking through your door? Where are the main issues? Because presumably by the time somebody consults you, they're aware that there is 
a problem um, and they're also aware that they're not dealing with their problem. So what's well, what's the main sort of thing that, that you find comes walking through the door? What's the main question? Well, I think people come, you know, people see me for a variety of reasons because you'll have some people who um, have a, a firm commitment. They know where they are. But they're in a binary gender, but it's not the one that they were born into. So they will want support through their transition and their process. And they're clear about that. Um, And then you'll get people who are confused and distressed and want some help to help them find a place that's comfortable. Um, And then there are other people who are just struggling and very unhappy and don't know how to manage that dysphoria, you know, feeling unhappy. And they may want to shift, but not be sure where to. Um, and then there are other people that just say, well, look, I'm, I'm finding I'm isolated because I don't fit any stereotype. And I just want support. I want to feel okay about myself. And I think it's important to stress with this topic that back in, um, I think it was 2015 now, um, psychotherapists and counsellors will most, I hope, be familiar with the DSM manuals, the, um, the manuals that define diseases and conditions. And um, I was one of a, a sort of number of people that said, well, look, this is really too narrowing because uh, it used to be called gender identity disorder. And that was a pathology. It was listed. It was a mental condition. In other words, it was an illness and people kind of needed to be cured of it really in some way. And um, after a long debate it was changed and in dsm now you'll find it says gender dysphoria but it's on a different level and to save everybody reaching for their dictionaries dysphoria simply means the opposite of euphoria very unhappy with um so and different people will have different ones but the interesting thing is i still get asked by medical practitioners could i do a diagnosis of gender dysphoria so people still can't get it out of their heads that, you know, it's not really something that you can you can diagnose in that way because it is so fluid. And the difficulty comes when people want to make surgical interventions and um, and, and take medication. And, and that's where it gets a little bit uh, trickier because medical practitioners will say, well, I'm not operating on somebody unless, um, you know, I have a, a practitioner tell me that it's okay to do that. So for the purpose of our conversation today, I don't want to sit here trying to educate everybody about gender identity, but I think it is something, if you're a therapist or a counsellor and you want to work in the field, not to be too afraid of it, but to just recognise that you'll be working with people that have an experience that's outside of your own. But isn't that often true anyway? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One question. Okay, I'm, this is going to be very provocative, but um, there's a lot of publications that come out um, on, on the issues of differences between brains, between male and female. Yeah. The newest publication came out saying that there was absolutely no difference whatsoever, which, of course, caused a little bit of distress in the gay community because they like to justify you know, certain things by actually having something in the brain they can ha- uh, hatch onto. So the question is always going to be how much of this is nature and how much of this is nurture? Can uh, you address that? 
Yeah, and, and, and listen, a lot of gay people would challenge what you just said anyway because a lot don't want to right. be told that it's right. something in the brain, you know. Um, but the thing is, look, there have been a lot of books, and I've just, um, I mean, I, I sent my doctoral thesis in earlier this year, and I did talk about that in one section because there, there are various books that have come out, and there's lots of there's evidence about this gene and that gene. Somebody identified a Y gene that wasn't known before that can cling onto the X or the Y chromosome. And it's very complex and there is no real proof of anything, frankly. But my point would be, so what? (laughs) What do we do with that information anyway? You know, if it were to be proven, then what do we do? Do we start cloning people to eradicate whatever it is? Or can we accept that there's diversity in the world? You know, if we if we don't want to get rid of something, um, it's because we're comfortable with it. We only want to get rid of something when it doesn't fit. I mean, God, look, the country at the minute is totally divided, as we know. Let's not go there. Can we declare this a Brexit-free zone this morning? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, but you know. It, it, again, it's it's a case of identity. You know, the country is struggling with its identity, and um, and I think uh, I would say to those people that look for a medical cause of it, um, why don't we just address how somebody's going to be happy? Um, and and I have worked with people that have been saying that they're going to transition. They've maybe decided not to. But not because I've said anything. I've, I, I would never say to somebody, this is wrong, you should not do it. But when we feel mentally robust and we're emotionally strong, we make healthy decisions, don't we? Isn't that what therapists do? Right. You know, we help people feel good about themselves so that they can make choices and not have rigid uh, messages from the past that inform them and, and, and tell them what they can be believing and not and how they should act. And when we do that, then we're effective. And if we all got out of the way and stopped playing God, everyone would be a lot happier. Agreed. One of those players, of course, is is the media and social media. Yeah. I mean, there is there's such an amazing amount of information and disinformation. Fake news is a is a thing in all yeah, areas, yeah. I suspect. Yeah. Um, how can you encourage young people to navigate what it is out there? Because I think. Um, I, I certainly know that there's a very, very big difference in the awareness of how gender is perceived in, in the younger generation than in my generation, yeah. for example, yeah. and how much yeah. of that is, is influenced correctly or not correctly by what's out there in the media. Well, yeah, I mean, many of my clients are under 18. Um, but um, yes, I mean, it's mixed, isn't it? There's so much out there. And there's been an explosion in numbers. And part of that is awareness, I think. Part of that is opportunity. But also now, I think, because people know that there are options for them. You know, that they don't, if they're not totally comfortable as a uh, as a woman, it doesn't mean that they have to not, um, that they have to totally change and become a male because they may not be happy there either. And in the early days when this phenomenon started, people had to be really rigid. We used to hear that expression, trapped in the wrong body, you know, where there was this kind of primal feeling from the earliest age. And there are people still that 
had that, and that's one thing. But for people that are questioning their gender, I think we should exactly let them do that, question it. We shouldn't be rushing to put children or young people in a box and saying, oh, okay, so you're you're gender neutral, you're, gen- you're non-binary, you're, you're trans, you're this, that, and the other. Let them grow up. And, um, and there will be some that will, from an early age, say, well, I've got to do something. This is unbearable. You know? And that's why we need a conversation. So, so, so we, never, we, never want, we never want people um, to feel pressured and pushed into anything. You know? And that's, that's, for me, the most important thing. Totally agree. What about um, for parents? Sorry, I didn't answer your question properly then, because you were talking about social media and the influence. I think there is an influence, and that's where I think therapists have a role, you know, to help people explore, well, what does it mean? You know, you've read all of this and you're feeling, well, I think I'm that or I'm this. Well, what is it that makes you think that? And if you are, maybe that's fine. But to, to actually explore it and look at it, you know, we... We mustn't start to think we can cure kids. And at the same time, you don't want to rush a 10-year-old down a path that they may regret at some point either. Right, which, which leads on to the, the question I was just posing, which is, I mean, how, how could one best advise parents to support their children in finding out who they are? I mean, it's not just a yeah. gender issue these days, I think. No. I think it's a, a much more modern idea that we actually develop or try to encourage our children to develop as their own personalities, yeah. their own selves. Well, That's that, already that, challenging. So, <laughs> yeah, no, no, try it. And, and, yeah, and it should be, though, shouldn't it? Because it's such a responsibility. As a parent, I've got two daughters, you know, and a grandchild. And um, it's a massive responsibility. And I would say, talk about it, explore it. One of the things with children that um, goes crazy with this topic is that you'll get somebody on the radio calling that somebody at school is dressing in another gender or whatever. Well, that's all they're doing at that time. And I think we, you know, uh, a 10-year-old person if the, who's going to feel more comfortable wearing clothing that's not the stereotype, well, why not? They're not, they're not taking medication. They're not under the surgeon's knife, you know. And if we suppress expression, that's when we get the problems. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Shelley, how much of of what we're talking about here is to do with understanding who we are within the body that we're in, in sort of isolation, and how much of this is to do with sexual orientation? Okay, well... Uh, the firstly, you know, you mentioned kindly at the beginning that I do training for self and so on. Well, that emerged from doing this work because it applies to anybody, you know, when we're looking at self and who we are. And um, people selling workshops on finding your purpose. And, you know, we see it everywhere, don't we? Absolutely. Uh, and my view is that if we... Um, if we do enough work on ourselves and we get rid of the blocks, you know, the ego is is our protector, isn't it? The ego um, sits there and filters information. And um, oh, sorry, we had an interruption there. 
just to show that you're alive. <laughs> um, sorry. Yeah, and um, yeah, so um, it, it, for me, it's about, you know, being prepared to do that work on yourself and explore and see what it is. Because, you know, we, we will have had experiences as young people and they will have been painful sometimes. And we found a way of coping. I'll give you an obvious example. When I was a child, because everybody knows that I change gender, I don't keep that secret or try to. Apart from when my voice is croaking like this, it'd be pretty hard to disguise anyway. Um, and I've, I've um, used to get bullied and found a way of coping was to withdraw and to virtually live in my bedroom, which was fine. That was a very successful technique. But if I were doing that at 19, it's not so successful. So, um, and, and there are other things that we do that are far more subtle. And we learn that we can avoid things by doing this or doing that. And then it, it, it forms our character almost. And that's where therapy is, um, is um, so valuable because we can help, if we can undo the pain of those experiences, then it allows us to have more choices and more healthier choices. So that can apply um, to everybody, really. And, um, and finding our true self is not always obvious to some people because they've spent all their lives avoiding it. Because if I tap into my true me, who I really am, oh, my God, how scary might that be? I might then really have to be successful. I might then really have to be financially free. I might really then have to be in a, in a, in a great relationship. But so long as I can protect myself by avoiding all of that, it's such a perverse thing, isn't it? Because we cause ourselves pain. But deep down, it's protecting something. And that's really, you know, a lot of the work I do with adults, with nothing to do with gender, um is is about that really but it applies to all of us whether whether we've got an issue with gender or anything else when we can really own our true selves and, and not be deluded by what that true self is then we become amazing human beings i mean i had a when i put my um training courses out the other day or the other week so i've always done a lot for other people and i started doing my own i had a social media troll um telling me i was inherently evil i should be um forced to stop practicing i should be this i should be that and the other signed a spiritual coach <laughs> so, deeply spiritual yeah. so, you, know, you know you're going to want to go to them aren't you <laughs> really. but calling yourself that and having absolutely none of it in you is just a total delusion isn't it Right. And I suspect they're doing it because there's something deeply unhappy inside them. So they're thinking, well, if I can let the world know I'm spiritual and work on that, I'll avoid dealing with my own pain. But you see, if they'd done that to somebody or to me 25 years ago, I'd have been really hurt. But I've done enough work on myself now to say, well, okay, we really do know who's got the problem here, don't we? And I don't think it's me. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. just to go back and, and, and put the so question. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I, you answered the first half of it, but, but, but yeah. the second half of it was, was the question about sexuality. Oh, sexuality. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Um, 
the two things are different. You know, otherwise, um, all gay men would want to be women and, and and all lesbian women want to be men, which clearly they don't. So it's not um, about that at all. Um, and the two are related a bit because if we look at numbers, people born with an XY uh, chromosome match, i.e. that grow up to be men, will mostly be attracted to women and vice versa. But there is a significant number, as we know. We used to say one in five, I suspect it's higher, mm-hmm. who don't mm-hmm. and, um, and are attracted to somebody um, of their own gender. So the two things are, are not linked. And But if somebody... Um, feels very ashamed about their sexuality and they think they can change their body to make it match or something. I mean, I don't think people do that, but it's possible. Then, of course, that would be a terrible mistake. But again, it's coming back to liking who you are. You know, if you're um, a woman who's sexually attracted to other women, why should you need to have to hide that? Why should you have to feel anything other than um, full of love for the person that you are with? You know, it's a nonsense that we make people feel awkward about that. I mean, some parts of the world where you still get killed. Yeah, absolutely. Just being gay, you know, I mean, it's just madness. There are some parts of the world you get killed or, or certainly mistreated just, just for being female, you know. And of <laughs> so, course, yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, yeah, we don't have gender equality at all, yeah. um, really. I mean, we, we it's better than it was maybe. But um, but it's nowhere near equal. We still haven't even got equal pay, for God's sake. No, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's outrageous. I mean, I've got two daughters so and a granddaughter, and I'm very aware of that, you know, um, and trying to empower them as they were growing up to say, look, you know, you can follow your dreams. You can do whatever you feel you want to do. And they're both raging feminist really <laughs> but by that i don't mean that they're sort of rushing around you know attacking everybody but they've got very strong views and i'm pleased that they have as they should yeah yeah, yeah. but it's uh, as you said before it, it's it's about every individual should should be allowed and encouraged to come to that place where they feel good about yeah. who they are you know, irrespective of a lot of problems in this world <laughs> we don't choose our sexuality or a gender identity it chooses us you know i i was on a um a bbc2 radio program a, a few months ago and the interviewer it was talking about young people and said, well, what happens when they get to 50, if they decide they suddenly like boys or they like girls? And I said, well, there's nothing to do with that and explained it just as we've been talking. And then it came up again a bit later. And I said, look, try and think of it like this. Gender is who I go to bed as and sexuality determines who I go to bed with. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And of course, as I said earlier, there are still the markers that say you tend, you know. So if, if you're born male, statistically, you're more likely to grow up and be sexually attracted to women and vice versa. Right. But just because that's a majority, it doesn't mean that you have to say that people that are not in that majority are either wrong or they're deluded or they're ill or whatever it might be. And the same with gender. Okay. 
the very fact that that things are so much more open than they used to be probably yeah. means there's there's not anybody sitting at home completely in isolation wondering what the hell's going on with them but i mean there may be some people perhaps who haven't haven't looked in the right places for the right sort yeah. of information yeah. so what's what's your advice what's the what's a, a good way to go forward with this how many therapists for example are there who have skilled um abilities in this area very few i should suspect well, I hope more and more, which is what I'm trying to address, you know, with the training. And and anybody can learn to do it as long as you're a good therapist, you know. And by that, I mean, if you've got good therapeutic skills, that's the first requirement. I'd rather refer a, 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 um, a client to a, a good therapist who doesn't know anything about it than a lousy therapist who knows a lot about it, you know. Right. <laughs> so it, it, But I think... There are still people sitting in a room on their own. And, um, and I would say to them, reach out, you know, do, don't suffer in silence. Depending on your relationship with your parents, your parents will hopefully love you enough just to say, look, you know, we just want you to be happy. Let's talk about it. Let's get some support for you. And, um, and, you know, and at least these days, I mean, the internet and social media is a two-edged sword, isn't it, really? Because it can be very painful uh, for being attacked. But it also does mean you can reach out more easily and you can contact people. Um, but seek help. You know, I, I remember in, 19, in the 1980s when I went for help, my GP never heard of it. <laughs> now they would need to be shot, wouldn't they? If Absolutely. They, had never heard of it and there are cl clinics and but it needs to change which is why i did my uh, doctoral thesis because i do believe the way we treat people is wrong at the moment uh, but anyway don't get me going on that because oh, i'm absolutely going to get you going on that because i think it's <laughs> no but i mean i think um i uh, i think most people listening to your podcast are therapists or counselors mm -hmm. large majority and, yeah and it is not taken seriously as a profession. Um, and we need to address that. Uh, I, I did a keynote at the BACP research conference last year. Sorry, I keep name dropping. Um, unforgivable. And I said we need to get the governing bodies to do more as well. Because, you know, I, I've worked, with, you know, with psychiatrists, clinical psychologists, all think that therapy would be a nice little add-on, you know. Yeah, it'd be good to go and talk to somebody. And I, my view is it should be an inherent part of the process. should be a, a multidisciplinary approach. Psychiatry controlled all of this because in the 1960s, when it was first defined, a guy called Harry Benjamin, who was probably the person that had the biggest influence of anybody in this topic, was the first person to um, actually work with people and to help them. And um, it was a psychiatrist that referred somebody and said, look, I've got this patient, I don't know what to do with him. So young boy wants to be a girl. And it's kind of gone on from there, really. And whilst those standards of care that were developed, um, and we still use them today, and they've changed and they are a good framework, but, but practitioners at the top, don't treat psychotherapy um, seriously enough and don't give it enough credit. So we have to all change that. We have to show that we've got something valid to put into the field.
Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I would think it's it's kind of critical, actually. Uh, that's well, an interesting point. I mean, if if somebody goes to through the the, the normal channels to go yeah. through um, um, to actually transition, are they actually obliged to have to consult a therapist? Is that part of no. the list? No, they'll go to a gender clinic, uh-huh. and they will go through that process. They'll meet a psychiatrist, clinical psychologists. And it's a bit of a geographic lotter, lottery, but sometimes they will be offered counselling. But it's kind of in that order. You know, okay. Like, uh, okay, well, whilst you're going through this, it would be useful for you to have some counselling. Uh, okay, now I understand what you mean by an add-on, right? Yeah, yeah. And my so, view is, actually, hang on, there's something really important to offer, particularly for people that don't have a firm belief and i think people in the past have been afraid to say that because they were worried that they might not get properly supported you know if i'm not absolutely clear that i i was born male i want to be female or i was born female i want to be male if if i'm not absolutely clear about that then i I, then i don't go through the process and i'm saying we should love people who say that and work with them and let them be clear about where they want to be and how do you best do that? I mean, how, how can you guide someone to making the best decision rather than actually influencing that decision? Well, um, when you work as a counsellor or therapist, you don't always work with people that come and say, look, I've got a phobia, I want it fixed. You'll get people who are unhappy because a relationship's broken down, because they've got no self-esteem, all of those things. And my point about it is to work with the person, not be obsessed about let's talk about your gender identity unless they want to explore it and they've come to explore it as a different thing. But also even then it's about, well, who am I? You know, gender's just a spacesuit we walk around in. Who am I really as a person? Why am I on the planet? What am I going to do so that on my deathbed I can say, well, at least I gave it a crack? You know, at least I tried. That's what we should be creating. And then whether they're walking around as men or women is far less important than somebody who's happy and fulfilled and making a contribution to the world. You know, so my belief is that if we give credit to people to say, if we help them become emotionally strong and clear about their processes and why they've got the beliefs that they've got, They'll make healthy decisions about all of this. That's the role, rather than fixing this dramatic thing that's called gender, you know? Right. But for that to actually happen, you need the world that we live in to become a lot judgmental, uh, less judgmental. um, Of course we do. You know, uh, not sure, not sure how how fast that's going to happen. Well, listen, you know, we could be sitting here talking about race or or religion or sexuality, couldn't we? And we'd be having a similar conversation in that regard. And, And it's this fear of what we don't understand, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So, what was it um, that? What was that point that actually you experienced that made you decide that you had to actually go and tell other people how to how to deal with these issues? Well, what was well, that? It evolved slowly. I mean, I've been working as a counsellor and a therapist, and um, and inevitably, I suppose somebody came along one day, and it was word of mouth. Really, I never ever advertised myself. 
and um, and likewise with young people. I worked with a, some parents brought a very suicidal young teen who was struggling with their gender identity. But again, you know, first thing you do is you help them feel that there's some kind of purpose, there's some kind of point, you know. You start digging in with a suicidal person, well, what does all this mean? It's about, look, there's a future for you, you know, whatever happens here, you know, cling on, you know. What are the things that we can find? If you've ever worked with suicidal people, always looking for that ambivalence, you know. What's the bit that you can hook onto that is positive? Maybe children or whatever. And that's the first thing, really. And again, it was word of mouth. So I'd, I'd never really set out to do it. And I suppose at the time, I was a bit too, un- I hadn't done enough work on myself. And I was still a bit raw. So I was worried about counter-transference and all of those things, you know, because it was still, I was still dealing with my own thing, really. And I still am, of course, you know. I'll be working on myself the day I die, probably, because we're never done, are we? We're all yeah. we all, as if I say, we all should in some way, shape or form. <laughs> yeah, well, immediately we start thinking we are, then it's time to quit, isn't it, really? Because you, you can't be any good to anybody. And, um, you know, and the good thing about, you know, although it's a tricky topic with young people and the last thing anybody wants to do is to encourage a young person to do something they're going to regret. And we have to be so careful about all of that. But I mean, that's a separate hours conversation, really. At least they can come forward and speak about it now. And that's where we need to be to pick that up, you know, because um, I, um, I was 30 odd before I did anything because it just felt totally impossible. It was like, you know, nobody does this. Um, and at least, you know, people now don't have to hold on to that for nearly, you know, 30-odd years as I did before doing anything. Yeah. And, and we I have moved forward, you know. We yeah. certainly have. But I, I still think the problem, part of the problem is that some of the role models that are put out there are, are kind of actually negative role models. Yeah. They're, often, they're often the ones where things don't go well if for one way or another. Um, you know, I think um, I think we, yeah. we could really do with some more positive role models. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, we, we always get, get, don't we, the, um, um, you know, like the email I got, I am a spiritual coach. Well, when you <laughs> define a spiritual, I, I've got a problem with that almost straight away, you know, really. Not necessarily, because I think some people use it in the right way. I am a role model. Who defines that? You know, leaders don't grow up saying I'm a leader people follow them and then they become a leader that's how leadership works you know people find you and follow you great leaders nearly always you know if you've read Joseph Campbell's work with Mm -hmm. the hero's journey Mm -hmm. if if you look back at great leaders in history they've nearly always denied the call before accepting it you know because it's it's not why they're great leaders (laughs) because <laughs> they think they are. Um, Agreed. It's an interesting paradox, isn't it? And uh, no, I, look, I totally agree. And the last thing I'm doing is putting myself up as a role model for psychotherapists or trans people or anything. No, oh, I wish of, you would, because I think you'd make a brilliant one, to be well, honest. We've, we've all got to find our own way, haven't we? And that's the right. key. I think that, that, you know, it's really, I think we've become full circle round to the fact that it's about really working hard to be better at what we do in this profession. And then we're less likely 
to be anything other than a help, really, because if we can really allow the person and challenge them where we need to, I train as a gestaltist, so I'm used to challenging people, but in a, in a supportive way, um, not just to collude with everything the client says. I don't mean that, but when they say something, it's like, well, what is it about that that makes you say that? What is it about that that makes you think that? Right. And could it be something else or whatever? You know, it's never about, well, actually, I don't think you should do this. Or, yeah, I think you're right for this. I mean, that's insane. I'm not in anyone's head. <laughs> Luckily for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I just really love the fact that, that you're communicating these ideas sort of beyond that kind of one-on-one setting in, in the yeah. in the counselling room. So one of the – you've got a book – and you also do your courses. Now, your book is more designed towards kind of what I would call the end user, right? So, yeah, well, it's I just my that. book. Well, I did a couple of ebooks, but I, I wrote a biography because people said, look, maybe you, you know, it's time you told a story. And I thought, well, everyone else is doing it. Why not? And um, I, um, I found it interesting writing it. It was quite cathartic, as you can appreciate. And I um, I used the I Ching as a kind of template, and I had eight different, you know, looking at the energies, I had eight imaginary conversations with my heroes and sheroes on the way round to reflect on what I thought I'd learned from each passage. And, um, you know, people have said that it's been helpful. That's not why I wrote it, really. I wrote it purely selfishly, just to get it all off my chest. And... Um, and if people enjoy it and get something from it, then that's an added bonus, you know. And um, I, I would hope they would, but I'm not trying to preach to anybody in it. I'm just sharing what my experience was. And, oh, um, I think that's just, I think that's super valuable. I mean, just just knowing, yeah. you know, yeah, it's available. Like, uh, it's on Amazon and all good charity shops. As well. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the links. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> So beyond the book, you're also you mentioned that before. You're also doing training courses for yeah. For well, I, I I I've I think because there's so much interest in it now, and people are always saying, "Well, I can't find a therapist." You know, when I speak to because after all, if somebody phones me from the north of Scotland, we're clearly not going to be able to meet one to one. I do do Skype work sometimes, but it's not ideal. I think as a good old. Um, gestaltist that you know picks up on body language and energy as well it's it's more difficult um but better that than not at all you know so um so i and and then you know people were saying oh i went to a therapist and i spent the first three sessions educating them which is a bit rich isn't it if you're paying somebody money and um so i've done training courses for um, organizations for a long time so I've got my London one is on the 3rd of November. I've got a Manchester one, but that one's full now. So I'll maybe run one again in, you know, in 2019 in Manchester. But I can't take any more bookings on that one at the minute. I've still got spaces on London. But I'm coming here to advertise that. But if anyone's interested. No, actually, what I was more interested in. They, they, they can look the, at the link. And, yeah. Yeah, is the content. So what, what sort of things, what, what, what points do you focus on to actually? Well, we'll talk, we'll talk about what it's about, a bit like we have today, but in a mm. bit more depth. Look at terminology more closely. Um, look at what those various things mean. What is it that people are looking for? How did it all start? How is it? 
you know, look at the context of it all, um, nurture and nature, you know, we haven't really talked about that much today, but that's a long topic. Um, and that gets into the theory of self again, doesn't it? Yeah. Am I a self in relation to the world or am I, you know, the gestalt view of self is that um, a self is experienced in relation. In other words, we only have a sense of self when we're in contact with others. Um, but there is also the argument that there's also a primal identity of self that's internal and not something that needs to be met. So we're going to, you know, we'll do some debates on that. And then I'll do case studies with people I've worked with, obviously changing the details so that it's, come, you know, I wouldn't want to identify anybody. And really, um, um, and let people ask a lot of questions and do work in twos and threes as well so that they can leave at the end of the day thinking, well, well, at least now I feel I could, you know, with supervision, and we all need supervision, um, now I could work with, you know, I could, I'd maybe feel okay about it. Yeah, I think that's that's fabulous because I, I mean, it's you know, it's clearly an area that's growing, and therefore there's yeah. growing demand, and and I can't you know yeah. think of anyone better to pass on that information than you. So, <clears throat> I think you're going to be doing a lot more workshops in the future. Well, oh, I think I, I, I mean, yeah, I'd like to be doing uh, to running more, and um, you know, I do get asked to speak and so on. It sometime, and I'm an old hack, you know. So give me a microphone. And put me on a stage, and <laughs> I can satisfy my ego. You know, <laughs> so, uh, so you do a lot of public speaking. What What are the um, What are the topics that uh, well, you, I get I, called I, to I, talk I, about? I talk on this a, a lot, but also on on self. You know, and on um, on on how we can be more successful. You know, um, and what it is that stops us. There's so much bad personal development stuff out there. It's appalling. Oh. You know, really. You know come on my weekend course and your life will be transformed because people don't want to do the work. You know, they want an instant fix. So um, I, I, what I talk about is how you could start to identify, you know, what is really going on and, and get help for it or whatever. Um, but really about self and being amazing and how we can take ourselves up to another level because it's only us that stops us. We have a nice little mental thermostat that helps us survive. And in some cases, not much more. So when things get bad, we fight, we get back to it. And when things get too good, we let it slip back because that's where we feel okay. And usually that comes from early experiences. That's a pretty way of describing it. Like me disappearing into my bedroom for protection. But that isn't me now. Imagine that if I was trying to work on Excel spreadsheets all day. I'd be clawing (laughs) my eyes out within an hour. (laughs) <laughs> you know, for some people, that's that, that's how they function, and that's fine. But we're all different. You know, we've all got a different way of being. Most therapists will probably be, I hope, people who like people. So they will tend to be less analytic. But then, of course, there are therapy styles that can accommodate that. You know, so right. we're, we're all, I think it's recognizing difference again. You know, and, and it's not wrong that somebody likes to be in front of a computer all day with a spreadsheet. And it's not wrong that some wants to be out at networking events, speaking to people. But it would be wrong if the wrong type of person tried to do each of those because they would get unhappy because it's not going to work. That's why people are in the wrong jobs and get unhappy. Spent years trying to be an accountant when really they should be a 
singer or a psychotherapist. Right. Well, it's been ages being a psychotherapist when perhaps they'd be better off being a PA or a, or a mechanic, you know. I don't know. That's kind of absolutely the quintessence of your work, though, isn't it? Whether we're talking yeah. about gender or anything. And I, I love that because, you know, we we come out of generations of people who have, you know, been square yeah. pegs trying to get into round holes yeah. and fit into what society yeah. tells us we should be. And you're screaming from the rooftops. You're just going to be miserable unless you're yeah. yourself. And that is and it, a I think our education mess. system's responsible for a lot of it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's such a powerful kids are obsessed from the age of about eight that they're going to get a levels and go to university you know and and make, make and whilst that's good then what about teaching them some life skills you know people they'll learn macroeconomics what about teaching them what the inequity is what a savings account is but we teach people to grow up get a mortgage and pay tax government love it you know <laughs> We're all cloned by the government. The great conspiracy. There's never, a, there's never a subject that says how you can work for yourself and be an entrepreneur. You know, and I, I work with entrepreneurs who are amazing people that give ten percent of their their profits to charities and um, start foundations when they've made some money. You know, they're not all money grabbing um, bureaucrats. Um, and um, um, all we do is teach people how to grow up, get a mortgage, stay in debt, um, 40, 50 grand a year so you can pay 40% tax, and then the government go home happy. And we never teach people how you can make an impact in the world, you know, what's going on in the third world. Did you know that this was happening in India, in China, or in our own country? What can we do to change that? And it's hard to change that when you've got no money. So I like entrepreneurs, providing they're social entrepreneurs, and they they want to change something, want to do something, and say, look, this world can be better. I know people have started foundations in the last couple of years because of all the awareness to help get rid of plastic from the ocean, and they're out there, they're doing whatever they do, and ten percent of what they earn is going into cleaning up the ocean and learning about that, you know, because they've got that conscience. Right. Other people, are, other people like me, and possibly like a lot of therapists, are, um, are worried about inequality getting worse and worse and worse. And it's not just economic inequality; it's social. And you know, no, I'm lucky. There are countries in the world that would execute me for being who I am. You know, and that's a really sobering thought. And yeah. how can how can we not? try and change that in some way. Now, I can't do it. I can be a part of something that does it, just as you can and all our listeners can. But you can't do it on our own. But we can maybe, you know, whatever it is that fires you up or, you know, our listeners will all have different things that they got into therapy because of, probably because of something personal, and they decided they would put something back in. Well, they can maybe start to help start a little movement that grows and connects with other movements out there. And um, and that's how we change things. We Otherwise, we just give up because we say, well, who am I? You know, no point in voting. I can't do anything. So, so I won't bother. And I yeah. understand that because people get frustrated. But, but, but that's how we change things. Great. 
what did, made you decide to kind of go down the academic route? So, you know, we've already uh, qualified degrees, masters, and, and uh, now well, on the I'm way coming you know, down. <laughs> I'm not academic. I mean, I really am not. Um, I'm getting them out. I left school at 15 without a single GCE or GCSE and, and nothing. And because um, um, I was told I was an idiot by the people at school, you know. Well, they obviously had, knew nothing. So. <laughs> well, but that's what they did, you know. Um, I was in the 11 plus era. And we were all told in my class, because we were class two and not class one, look, you're not clever enough, but we've got to put you through it, you know. And because we hadn't even, we hadn't even learned half the topics. Anyway. So that was all, all that was going on. And, um, but anyway, so, um, I, I, I got qualified, got a master's and, um, it's actually quite a funny little story about that because I was at the, um, I was at the graduation and I was very emotional because my partner and my two daughters were with me. And, um, um, I got chatting. So, you know, even that, you know, you're there, you've got a plastic flute. It's not glass. It's not champagne. It's some kind of fizzy, whatever. I don't know, Carver. Anyway, Carver, Prosecco, all nice drinks. You get a scroll that's blank because you actually haven't got the bit of paper yet. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all kind of, yeah, what is this really about, you know? And I, I was intrigued. I was talking to somebody who just become a professor, you know, with his big floppy hat and everything. And I, he, he had an East London accent. And I've always grown up with this sort of, Morse idea of academia, you know, with the hallowed cloisters of Oxford. <laughs> and um, so I was a bit interested. And he said to me, so what are you going to do now then? And I said, well, I've been approached to buy, write a book by somebody, you know, explain what it was. And he said, well, you've got to do research for that. And I said, yeah. So he said, why don't you do a doctorate and then you, you can write the book when the, you finish the research. And my response was, well, I don't know, really, I'm not academic. And he stood back and he looked at me. He said, you've just got a master's degree. Uh, flipping, it's a bit stronger than that. Flipping, get over it and do the doctorate. And I did. Uh, and it's been hard work, though, because it doesn't come naturally to me. But I did a lot of research. But the reason I did it was because I wanted to try and, in, in my small way, put psychotherapy on the map within this gender discussion. And to say, look, there's a place for it. So the title of my thesis was The Role of Psychotherapy in the Clinical Treatment of Gender Dysphoria. But I haven't passed yet. I've got to be examined verbally and various things and probably have to do some rewrites, which is standard. But I hope to get it passed. And I want to put it out there and say, look, we can do this a bit differently. And then my hope is other people will pick up on that and they'll grow it and do it their way and do it differently. And that's how we get change. Very, very powerful stuff, Shelley. And I and I wish you all the very best with that because I think it is a super important conversation to be having. It's a super important topic. Um, as I said, you know, I'm I'm aware of of being a parent myself, of seeing how very, very different the younger generation certainly is in the way yeah. that they think about these things and the way they feel about themselves yeah. and yeah and i you know even as a therapist there are times where i have felt like i don't have the tools to be able to deal with this in a in a way that's helpful and constructive so i but, but you see if i can interrupt you that's the first step right Rec recognizing that is a healthy first step isn't it for all of us right i, I get somebody walks in my room with eating disorders 
I, I'm not an expert on that. And I need to recognize that, you know. And then right. we've got a chance of being useful, haven't we? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I, uh, to all the therapists out there, please check out Shadow's courses because I think they'll really, really be useful. And certainly I would think that this is the sort of thing that should be part of every school curriculum, you know, at least a little basic yeah. training and, and having teachers being able to support young students. Yeah. Because that does happen, by the way. People do do that work. I don't, but there are people that go into schools and so on but surely not as much as as perhaps they should or maybe no, i'm just i'm probably just no no, no it's, <laughs> it, it's happening but it you know it's still a way to go yeah and i still get and still hear horror stories you know great if there was one thing shelly just to um to finish up that uh, you know maybe we haven't addressed but a, a really important message a point that you really would like to get out there um what what would that be well, if you're a therapist, um, own and love your strengths, recognize and nurture and work with your weaknesses. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. There are three little questions that I'm going to finish up with that I always ask all of my guests and, uh, mm -hmm. and I, and I love the answers and there's no wrong or right answers. So, uh, whatever yeah, yeah. you feel. And that's, we always talk about um, mind, body, spirit medicine on, on London Heal as a podcast. And yeah. I embody that in the ideas of health, happiness and serenity. So first of all, health, how do you define health? What does that word mean for you? Um, well, it's, it's mental and physical, isn't it? Which is what you've just alluded to. Health, I think for me, is everything being in accordance and, and, and working together well mind body unhealthy mind causes an unhealthy body and vice versa so it's it's, it's marrying those components really right. and, uh, and feeling good and what about happiness what does Shelley do to get happy what makes yeah. you happy um well you know this is really boring but uh, the joy I get from my daughters and my granddaughters it's just unbelievable you know very proud of my daughters they're both adults my partner's amazing lived together for 45 years um and so i'm blessed with having amazing people around me and i love traveling i'm still like a kid in a sweet shop when i get to the airport with the boarding card you know <laughs> can't wait I've travelled all over the world and I never get bored with it. Love it. Every country's got a different look, a different smell, different people, different food. God, that's it for me. That gives me a real buzz. <laughs> and what about serenity? I always say that, you know, in these crazy, crazy world that we live in and crazy lifestyles that, that everybody should find a way to actively turn the noise down are there any yeah. specific practices that that you follow or do you just observe certain moments to just well I, I i'm not the best at this because you know meditating and so on i know i should do and i i don't um i do it sometimes when i think of it yoga that kind of thing um but i live in the country which is really important for me and I go and walk in the woods most days to try and do my 10,000 steps, you know. And um, and I love just standing there sometimes and listening, you know, to what's happening. 
So that's that for me and the ocean. You know, stick me on a beach with crashing waves and I'm totally at peace. Great. Well, that was a wonderfully important interview. Thanks very much for taking the time to come talk to me about it. We'll put all the links to your website and your courses and uh, um, on the uh, on the show notes. And um, let's not be afraid to talk about this anymore. Let's start the conversation, I think, is a great message yeah. to go away with. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Shelley. So, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Shelley. I thought it was a very important topic that we need to talk about. And um, I think she's an absolute expert in the field and couldn't think of somebody better to talk about it. I hope we kind of understood a bit more about the terminology and debunking some of the ideas and really kind of absorbing Shelley's take home message, which is even though gender identity by itself is a huge subject and a huge issue, underlying that is still this idea of authenticity, of being who you are, stepping into who you are, and maybe understanding that you might need help in defining and understanding who that ideal and real you is. Um, and at the end of the day, that's where we should all be. So, dear listeners, as always, asking you to rate and review us on iTunes and, of course, subscribe. Please tell all your friends and feel free to distribute this material to those people who you feel really, really need it. And it's not long to go now before we'll be setting up our Facebook group where we're hoping to have interactive conversations on interesting uh, topics all about health, longevity, mind, body, spirit. We're going to be covering loads of new topics in this new series coming up and in flow at the moment and hope that you'll stay true to us and in fact help get our message out there to those people who really need it. And of course, for those of you who like to stuff, have stuff in black and white and check out show notes, extended show notes after you've listened to the episode, you don't have to bother taking those notes yourself. You can become a London Heal Insider and have them all promptly drop into your inbox every Friday morning. So please do that over at LondonHeal.com. And so until next week, it leaves me just to wish you all, as always, health, happiness, and serenity. <laughs>